Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. And you may notice on the back of your bulletin, we put a place there for sermon notes if you'd like to use it. Certainly don't have to use it, but if you'd like to use it, you may. Uh, we put that there by request. We've had several people to ask us to do that, so uh, it is there for you should you want to use it. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse number 3, was where we will read. We'll read verses 3 through 14. The title of this message is, On Purpose. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Let me ask for a show of hands here. How many of you have made some sort of New Year's resolution? Raise your hand if you have. Raise your hand. Raise your hand really high. Really high. Uh, let's make a resolution that whenever you raise your hand, raise them really high. How about that? Raise your hand really high. Okay. Probably about, uh, I don't know, maybe a tenth or a fifteenth of uh, the total congregation. How many of you have resolved not to resolve? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. And how many of you are just uh, oblivious to it? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, there you go. All right. Uh, some people make resolutions. In fact, the uh, University of Scranton did a survey over December, November and December. It was a scientific survey, and they found out that almost half of all Americans make New Year's resolutions. But just over half of all Americans do not make any New Year's resolutions. I found that to be quite interesting. For some reason, I, felt, I thought that probably most people make New Year's resolutions, but actually just less than half. And in our congregation, only about 10% of us made New Year's resolutions. There was about 48% that were oblivious. I noticed that just for a moment there. They also found out what were the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2014. Number one, of course, was lose weight. 
Number two was getting organized. Number three, spend less, save more. Number four, enjoy life to the fullest. Number five, New Year's resolution, staying fit and healthy. Number six, learn something exciting and new. Number seven, quit smoking. Number eight, help others in their dreams. Number nine, fall in love. How many of you have that for a New Year's resolution? Nobody here, nobody here. How many of you are in love? Raise your hand. That's what I'm like to see. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I saw some wives raise their hands and husbands didn't. What's up with that? <laughs> Number 10 was spend, time, spend more time with family. And of course, there are always those, every year, uh, the first Sunday of the new year, I ask this question, and uh, how many people made New Year's resolutions and how many people resolved not to resolve? Did you realize, for those of you who raised your hand, that you resolved not to resolve, that you actually had made a New Year's resolution? Did you know that? I resolved not to resolve. Oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Even that is a resolution. Approximately 17%, about just less than than one out of five Americans, infrequently make their New Year's resolution. In other words, they, they make a resolution, but about one in five infrequently follow through with it. Four in ten Americans, about 38%, absolutely never make New Year's resolutions. What about that? Less than 1 in 10, about 8%, are successful in achieving their resolution. See, this is the reason why most of us don't make resolutions. Because only about 1 in 10 will uh, always follow through with our resolution over the course of the whole year. About 24% of us, one-fourth, one out of four, succeed on every one of our resolutions each year. One out of four. But get this. And this was also, all this was in this University of Scranton survey. Get this, here's what they found. They said, people who explicitly make resolutions, who specifically make resolutions, are ten times more likely to attain their goals than people who don't make resolutions. What about that? That's an argument for the making of resolutions. Well, when I thought about this, I got to thinking about... uh, did God ever make a resolution? Does God make New Year's resolutions? You know, and, and whenever I ask myself that question, I immediately, the, 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 the right side of my brain, immediately jumped forward and said, absolutely not. How could God make resolutions? The other side of my brain says, whoa, 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 horsey. Let's just stop and think about that just a moment. And what I found was, I think God does make resolutions. It's not that he makes them every January the 1st. It's that God has eternal resolutions that he has made. You see, it seems that humans are not the only ones who make resolutions. From all time, God has made resolutions, plans, and his eternal plans are the focus of this passage in Paul's first chapter of his letter to the Ephesians. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And the fact that God has a purpose for us and inc- that includes us should comfort and encourage us and it should motivate us to set goals for our own lives. The fact that God has a plan that includes us ought to comfort us and encourage us on the one hand and it ought to motivate us to make godly goals on the other 
hand. That's what this passage from uh, Paul's first letter, from, from his letter, first chapter of his letter to the Ephesians is all about. Ephesians was a circular letter. That meant it was read in several different congregations. That's the reason why if you were to look at some of the earliest copies of manuscripts of Ephesians, in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the words in Ephesus are blank. They're left blank. So that wherever the reader was, whatever church he was in reading this, this passage or this letter, he could insert whatever church he was in. To the saints who are in Laodicea, in Colossae, in Ephesus. So it was a circular letter. Do we have any English teachers here? Anybody English teacher, raise your hand. All right. Jill, don't cringe at this. Don't cringe at this. Verses 3 through 14 in Greek, one single sentence. One single run-on sentence. What would that mean for Paul in an English class? That would mean a big old goose egg. That's what it would mean. In fact, modern translators have taken that one long sentence, verses 3 through 14, and they have broken it up into at least seven different sentences. In the New International Version, it's seven, I think, different sentences that that one long sentence in Greek has been divided up into. But it almost had to be that long in Greek. It almost had to be a run-on sentence because you're talking about God's plan. You're talking about God's purpose. It's deeper than just a few small sentences. It's longer, it's wider, it's higher, broader. So this passage tells us something about God's purpose. And I want to try to unpack it a little bit. And let's talk about some of the things that Paul says about God's purpose. God's resolutions, if you will, from this passage of Scripture. The first thing I want you to notice is that God's plan has always included each one of us. Whenever you go home, you look in the mirror. You may not think at times that what you do, the position you have at your job, the role that you play in everyday life is all that significant. But let me tell you, from all eternity, God has a plan that has included you by name. He knows you by your nickname. If you know somebody by their nickname, you know them. Do you realize that? You can know them by their Mr. So-and-so. That's an acquaintance kind of thing. Or you can know them by their first real name. That's even closer. But if you know somebody by their nickname. You see, I think about Tommy Bentley. I kid him all the time. I have a nickname for Tommy Bentley, which I have a nickname for all of you. Some of you don't know it. Some of you do. (laughs) Tommy Bentley's nickname is Buford T. Justice. Yeah. God knows Tommy Bentley by that nickname. He knows him so well. He knows each of us that well. He has a plan that has always included us. In verse 1, which I didn't read, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. What is Paul saying in that one opening phrase? He's saying God had an eternal plan that included me, Paul, being an apostle. You say, well, that was Paul, that wasn't me. It is also you. God has also chosen you, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, Paul says. Verse 5, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship. You see, God's plan has always included every one of us. There's never been a time when God's plan didn't include you. What about that? 
Never been a time. God has a plan that has always included us. Secondly, God's plan called for God to go to great lengths to redeem us. You see, God didn't have a plan that just included what you need to do. God had a plan that first and foremost included you, but, but second and also as equally as important, it was a plan that called for he himself to go to great lengths for us. He went to great lengths in that our redemption cost him the blood of his son. Verse 7, in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which God purposed in Christ. You see, everything about God's plan revolved around and was uh, empowered by Jesus, his son. Everything about his plan revolved around that. God went to great lengths because our redemption required the high cost that God had to pay giving his son for us. God went to great lengths in that God's complete fullness is involved in our uh, redemption. I won't take you all the way through these verses again, but you will see God the Father in those verses, you will see God the Son in those verses, and you will see God the Holy Spirit in those verses. The, the fullness of God is working jointly as one God who reveals himself in three persons. That one God revealing himself in three persons is working jointly for your redemption because from all eternity, you have been the apple of God's eye. God has a New Year's resolution for you. It's a New Year's resolution that's not new for God because he has eternally thought of you by nickname. God has planned to go to great lengths for you. And number three, God's plan calls for us, his adopted children, to live for him. Somebody said this, they said, well, I know God has a plan and God's plan is that I be saved or that we be saved. Yes, it does include that, but if you stop there, if you stop there, you, you have missed out. If we stop there, we've missed out on the bulk, the 99.9% of all that God's plan includes. You see, if I say, well, you know, I was saved back on the first Sunday night in August at Shady Grove Baptist Church in a revival in 1968, God's plan was that I be saved that night. It includes that, but if I stop right there, I've missed a, so much. Because you see, God's plan is not just that we be saved, but that we live for Him. That we be holy people. Holy means set apart for the work of God. Set apart to live for God. Set apart for righteousness and holiness to make a positive difference in this world. God's plan calls for us to live for Him. Verse 11, in Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Verse 12, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. You see, God's plan includes that lost people be saved in 2014. God's plan includes that all of us who are saved live to the praise of his glory in 2014. And then number four, God's plan requires a free response. How can God 
from all eternity have a plan for you that he's known for all eternity and yet give you pure freedom. How can that be? I will tell you right now, I don't know the answer to that question, but I will tell you this. I believe it as sure as I'm standing in this pulpit. I believe that for all time God's had a plan for Jimmy Orr. I believe that for all time God has had a plan for Irv Carter. I believe that for all time God has had a plan for Janice Grace. And I believe that in his plan he has, in, he has incorporated pure freedom on the part of human beings. Verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. And when you believed, you were marked with a seal. When you heard and when you believed. You see, belief, the act of believing is an act of free choice on your part. Listen, now there, there are Christians walking around today telling you that uh, God has predetermined everything so much that, that he's decided exactly how many will be saved and who will be saved and exactly who, how many will, will, will die lost. And, and, and there's no way that you can have any free choice in that matter. Any free choice, they say, is just a perception of it. Let me tell you something. That is bull. You have free choice. If you don't have free choice, then God's love isn't love at all. You see, uh, you and I have not given somebody the opportunity to really love us and love us genuinely until, incorporated with that love, we give them the freedom not to love us. If they don't have the freedom to reject you, they don't really have the freedom to love you. God's plan requires a response. The question is, what is your response in 2014? Back during the 1870s, one of golf's, the sport golf, one of golf's immortal moments came when a Scottish golfer tried to demonstrate what was then the new game of golf to then-president Ulysses S. Grant. The Scotsman put the ball on the tee, and he took his club, and he took a few practice swings, and he walked up to the tee, and he got set up, as golfers do, and they kind of wiggle a little bit, as you golfers do. I don't know what you're doing, but you do. He reared back, and when he, when he hit or thought he was going to hit the, the ball. Instead, he hit the ground, knocked up a whole bunch of dirt, and Ulysses S. Grant, who was fully bearded, had dirt come in all over his beard. He brushed it off, and the golfers apologized, and, and he got back up, and he went at it again. Again, the second time, he missed the ball, hit the dirt, and just sent dirt slung all over the place, including everybody who was in, in the attendance to watch it. And finally, Ulysses S. Grant said this to him. He says, you know, and this was after six tries, believe it or not, of trying to hit the ball and not hitting it. I've seen Herb Carter do that, but not, not really. I've seen me do that. Thank you, Herb. After six tries, President Grant said this. He says, you know, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in this game. But I fail to see the purpose of the ball. When it comes to our relationship with God, we're not like a golf ball that goes nowhere. We have a purpose that is God-given. 
that we may not be able to see right now or at any moment or any day in 2014, we may not be able to see it, but God has a purpose for us that he has had for all eternity. And it is a purpose that God deems important enough to to include us in his eternal plan. God has resolutions. And in his resolutions, he wants to know you. And if he already knows you because you received Christ, then he wants to know you better. And it's all up to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how can we thank you enough for the fact that you've included us in a plan that you've never not had? A plan that is from all eternity. God, thank you for this plan. This plan includes that we receive you as Savior. And somebody here has never received you as Savior. They've never invited you into their lives for the first time. And they need to come to this altar of prayer here at the front and say, I just want to receive Christ as my Savior. I don't know how to do it. Lord, we want to help them to do it. For those of us who are already saved and we know that you have plans for our lives, whether we made a resolution or not, you have one about us. It's that we know you better, that we live to the praise of your glory. And so, Lord, may we take this opportunity to renew our love and our commitment to the God who has saved us and who has loved us and who has planned for us from ever and ever and ever. God, may this be a brand spanking new year in more ways than just the calendar turning for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.